Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, internationally recognized branding consultant and best-selling author of the books, Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. By having a relentless mentality, I've pushed boundaries and gotten into rooms with pro athletes and power players, built a successful business, and moved the ball in male-dominated industries. Now, I'm using my same of the ball methodology to help thousands of people dominate their game when it comes to their brands and creating opportunities. This podcast is all about uncovering strategies of the world's best athletes and business leaders to help you get to that next level. Join me in conversations that will elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, thanks so much for joining me today. First, if you haven't already done so, be sure that you follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also share the show with some friends, family, colleagues, and coworkers too. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. Now, today is a big day. The NFL draft is an exciting time for so many young men as they hope to hear their name called on draft day. One person who knows all about this is today's guest, Wendell Davis. He is a retired NFL wide receiver that played college football at LSU. And Wendell was drafted in the first round of the 1988 draft by the Chicago Bears, where he played most of his career. Have a listen as Wendell shares more about his journey to draft day, his time playing in the NFL, and more. Wendell, it is so great having you here on the show. Welcome. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing, Jennifer? I am doing fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to our chat today. We've known each other for a long time, and we don't see each other that often, but every time I see you or I see some post of yours or something, it's just always this big smile on your face, and you've got this positive aura around you, which I obviously like because I'm a positive kind of person. Where does that come from? How are you wired that way? Well, I guess it's just from my upbringing, from my parents, specifically my mom. My mom had a great smile and she's always very optimistic about things. And so I think I got it from her. That's something that I've just always noticed about every time I see you or I see something about you, there's always this big smile on your face, which I think is important because it's good to bring positive energy out in the world. It's something I talk about a lot is that we need to be mindful of what we're putting out of the space for others. I just wanted to let you know that I'm noticing you and that positivity you're bringing. (laughs) Thank you very much. That means a lot. You're welcome. Now, today is draft day. It's day one of the 2023 NFL draft. And you are someone who knows the draft very well and day one, especially too. Now, the draft has changed from when you were drafted in the 88 draft. So share with us kind of what your process was. How was it like for you hearing your name called and then walk us through kind of how things are different today versus when you were going through your draft process? That was a long day for me. (laughs) But to me, the idea of getting drafted to hear your name called in the NFL draft, I think that that's never changed. I think those emotions, knowing that finally got this opportunity to make a dream come true, I think that'll never change. And uh, I think it's the same as when I was drafted, and it's probably the same today. But what has changed is the atmosphere around it with social media and all the things that they turn the NFL draft into a, almost a holiday, only as the NFL can do. You have all the NFL draft shows, you have all the predictions. So I think that changes. And I think 
you get to know the player a little a little more now. You get to know the personality of a player, their hobbies, because they really go into who the person really is. You just don't know the person by this player on the field and you get to know who's behind the face mask, so to speak. And you mentioned social media and how, I mean, there's good in social media and then there's also some negatives or cons. You've got all of these analysts and their predictions and all kinds of articles being put out there on where a player is going to get drafted, what round or, oh no, they might've fallen, their draft stock is lower. And so it can be a lot for a young man to take in like what everybody is saying about their potential for their future. And so when you were going through the draft, social media wasn't around then, but did you have any of that pressure or did you feel any of that? Am I going to go first round, second? Like, how is that for you? Yeah, I had a little bit of that pressure, but not as much as it is today. Because back then, like you said, there was no social media. You basically relied on your agents because the agents were the ones talking to the team. They were in the know. So that's what you had to rely on. But then you still had a a few of those analysts out there making their predictions as well. But that was about it. The pressure was still there. I just remember I was predicted to go early to the middle of the first round. And I ended up being the last pick in the first round. So that was a lot of pressure because I had really thought to myself at that point, well, I won't be drafted in the first round. I think I'll be just get ready for the second round. But I unfortunately got drafted in the first round. But uh, yeah, it, it was some pressure, but not as much as it, as it is right now during this time. I think through social media, too, people are more aware of how the NFL is a business and professional sports is not just entertainment, but there very much is a business aspect of it. When you were coming through that process, that wasn't quite as publicized or a lot of players weren't as aware of that business aspect. How is that for you transitioning from being a student athlete at LSU to becoming a professional football player playing with the Bears? I think for me, I didn't realize the business side of it until later in my career, how much of a business it is because in going into the draft and coming from college, from LSU, you still think of it as a game. And a game that you love to play, you know, you're going to make money at it. You just don't have the mindset of it's a business. And I didn't get that until later in my career. But I think the younger generation, they are getting it early on. And it's through education, through the resources that they have now that they can see that NFL is a big business. And, and you as a player is an entity of your own. So guys are starting to realize that before they even get into the league. So that's the big difference for me. And social media has really made things more transparent. Back in the day when I was playing, you know, if I had an issue, if there's something that I wanted to to get off my chest, if there's something that I wanted to let people know, it was hard for me to do that. Other than just going to the media, you really don't want to do that because I always had a love-hate relationship with the media. Because you kind of need them and then sometimes they really <laughs> make you mad and you, you don't want to be around them. So you had this love-hate relationship with them. But, but through social media, you're able to, to put out what you want to put out, you know, on your Twitter feed, on your LinkedIn, on Facebook, all of those social platforms you have access to. So I think social media really changed things up, made it more transparent, made the owners realize that they can't just do anything that they want to do, say anything that they want to say to the players. 
social media has really allowed players to have a voice and to share not only about if there's an issue, but just to showcase who are they as individuals, as human beings, not just as professional athletes. And I think social media has also, to your point, first, there's so many resources now to help players become prepared for the business of being a pro athlete. But I think social media also allows them to see that. So we're in season four of the podcast. And ever since the first season, I've done a path to the draft series right before the draft where I feature different draft class guys. And even in these last few years of having that series, I can see the evolution with different players that come on and how much they are aware of the business side of it. And so it's neat to see kind of just how educated they are. It's really impressive on how some of these young men who are 21, 22, 23 have really got a great grasp on just how to be a professional and how to succeed at life at such a young age too. So I really enjoyed having this series to be able to have these conversations. Now, one of the things I always ask these draft class guys is why they chose the university that they played college football at. You went to LSU. Now you're from Shreveport. Why did you choose LSU? I chose LSU because I wanted to play at a Division I school. I always wanted to play at a Division I school. But the story is, I wasn't being recruited heavily uh, coming out of high school. And at the time, LSU was not recruiting me. I was being recruited by all of the in-state schools, such as Grambling, Southern, Northwestern State, Northeastern State, USL back then. So a lot of schools in-state, but not LSU. And LSU came in at the last minute, and I'm not sure why, but they came in at the last minute and offered me a scholarship. Like I said, I wanted to play D1 ball, and LSU was the big school on the block. So I just took advantage of that opportunity. And during your time there, you were team captain for two years, first team All-American your junior and senior year. You were also the 1987 Most Valuable Player of the SEC Conference in 86. You led the nation in receiving. So you weren't just moving the ball. You were dominating the game, as I like to say. What were things that you were doing to really set yourself apart from everybody else that was playing college football? I contributed to showing up, working hard, and being consistent. And those are the things that I based my game on. And realizing that in order for me to be successful, I really had to buy into the team concept and really realize that it wasn't about me. And that's one of the things that I learned early on in my football career when I was playing youth football to high school. You learn that it's not about you. It's always about the guys that you play with, the guy that you're playing next to. And once you get that, everything kind of snaps into place. But I, I really focused on being consistent, working hard, and everything that I did and just showing up, even in the bad times, you got to show up. That's kind of what I based my game on. God blessing me throughout the time. I had a pretty good career at LSU. You mentioned hard work, showing up, and then also the consistency. A lot of folks on the show that I have as guests will talk about that hard work and that consistency. Very, very important. But how you show up matters, especially on the days that you're not feeling it or that things aren't going your way. I mean, that's really what separates a lot of people from the others because it's that discipline to continue to show up in the moments that you are not motivated is what's going to dictate whether you're successful or not. It's easy when things are great and it's a sunny day out and all is going your way. Of course, you're going to show up the right way. But when things are not and it's challenging, the true leaders and the elite people are the ones that are going to continue to be disciplined and do what they need to so that they can achieve the goals that they're looking to achieve. 
right? And it shows your character too. When things are going right, like you said, I mean, everybody's happy. Everything's going well. You win. You don't sweat the little things. You're like, everything's okay. But time you start losing, having the losing season, everything starts to matter. Every little thing is magnified a hundred times. So it's in those times that if you stop showing up, it kind of tells you your character. Then you find out who you really are. Agreed. So you were drafted by the Chicago Bears, 27th overall, 88 draft. Playing in Chicago is very different than playing in Louisiana or in the Southern states. How was that adjustment like for you coming to them? I know you live in Chicago now. I'm in Chicago suburbs. So we're used to that cold now. But how was that when you first got here and dealing with that wind chill and just a new environment? Well, I I won't say I'm used to it, (laughs) but uh, yeah, still not used to it after being here over 30 years. But I remember being drafted and when you get drafted, you're just excited to be drafted for your dream to come true. After I got drafted by Chicago and I finally realized where I was going, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's cold in Chicago. Not only is it cold, they don't throw the football. They're a running team. That's when they had Walter Payton. He was retired, but they were still considered a running team. So they was not throwing the ball a lot. But it finally hit me that I'm going to Chicago and it's it's cold. And I was telling that to my dad. And my dad looked at me and just said, son, you're going to make enough money. You can buy your coat. <laughs> with that, I just took off to Chicago and I dealt with it. You know, you, you have to. That's one of those stages where you learn that it becomes your job. And you, you're around guys that's been doing it for a while and you see how they adjust to it and how they continue to do their work. And as a professional, you have to do the same. And no matter what field we're in, I think we all can think back about as we started off our career, there were always people in that first place of employment after college or that first major job who just really took us in, embraced us and put us under their wing to help us to be successful. Who were some of those people for you at the Bears organization, whether it be a coach, a teammate, just someone on the staff? Who were those people? I had a great relationship with a lot of guys. As far as guys on the team, always starts in your position room. I had guys like Dennis Gentry and Ron Morris and uh, Thomas Sanders. Those are guys that I gravitated to. And then Mike Singletary. Now, Harris was also guys that I gravitated to, guys that had played the game and probably retired or left the game because of injury. So the off the field people, I know Jim Osborne was one of my mentors, Leslie Frazier, one of my mentors. I even had guys that meant a lot to me that that worked at the Bears. Tony Medlin, the, the equipment manager there, been there for years, still one of my good friends. I was fortunate enough to surround myself with a bunch of positive professionals who kind of looked out for me, who became champions for me while playing in after playing. That's awesome because we all know that who you surround yourself with matters, right? And they're really going to help you to move the ball or not. And I don't know all the names that you mentioned, but I do know some of the guys that you referenced who are just incredible people. And yeah, it's really important to be around good people that are going to help you to grow as a professional. Now, as you look at your time playing with the Bears, what were some of the most fun games or just moments that you really appreciated being part of the Bears organization? I really enjoyed our training camps, to be honest with you. This is when you had training camps that lasted, I don't know, two, three weeks. 
you had these camps where you really got up there and you bonded as a team. I really enjoyed that atmosphere and going through that whole process. During the season, I liked the year. My best year was in 91, I think, 1991. We had a pretty good season, and uh, I had a pretty good year as a receiver. I had a lot of catches, but also we surprised a lot of people with the way that we played offensively. They didn't think we could generate a lot of points, but we did. And so it's, I guess the 1991 season stands out for me. And I mentioned earlier that you were a team captain at LSU for two seasons. You were also a team captain with the Bears. What was it like being a team captain at the professional level? Was it a different feeling for you versus being a collegiate captain? It was an honor in both cases. But as a team captain for the Bears, you you basically, it's like you're the manager <laughs> on your job. And you have not only guys that are your age, but you have guys that are older than you that has voted you to be a team captain. So that was pretty special. And to be at that level performing and playing at a game that you love and being recognized as good at what you do, that was very special. And I asked that question because I'll have a lot of guys who are playing in the league today on the show, and they'll talk about one of the differences between college and pro ball is the age disparity between the team members. You know, in college, you're all in the same general cluster for your age group. Whereas in pro ball, you've got people who might be 10 years older than you who are your same age. Some have families, some do not. So there's a very different dynamic. And I think when you're respected as somebody to be the leader of a team that is comprised of such diverse demographics, I think it means more than just being voted by your peers when you're in college. I would agree with that. Yeah. Now, we're going to fast forward a little bit to the tail end of your career. And you ended up, while still with the Bears, you had an injury in the game against the Eagles. That was a very serious injury. Walk us through how it happened and then just your mental state, because it's very tough mentally to deal with an injury like that. Just walk us through how were you dealing with it and then the recovery process. Yeah, well, it happened in 93 in Philadelphia, Veterans Stadium. And it was basically... Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback, and it was a basic route that we've run hundreds and hundreds of times. And we were playing on the, at the time, was uh, artificial turf at uh, Veterans Stadium. And it's considered one of the, I guess, the, the worst turf playing surfaces in the league because it pulled double duty because it was a baseball stadium as well. So it had like seams and all this kind of stuff in it. And there's some hollow spots in the field. But I, I was going up for a routine catch on a post pattern and the ball was thrown just a little short. And I, I went to stop to adjust for the ball and my, my feet kind of got stuck in the turf. And as I was going up, both my patella tendons and my knee, they ruptured at the same time. After that, after hitting the ground and going through a little numbness and then pain, I noticed that my kneecaps and both knee had moved up into the thigh area. So they got me calm and they, they secured me and took me into the locker room where they, they had an x-ray machine in there and they x-rayed it and everything and let me know what was going on. And I actually flew home on the plane at night with the team. So that was a very long day for me. <laughs> Very long day, but went straight to the hospital. 
they had to wait till the swelling go down in the knees and then they perform surgery on both knees. So I had both knees and in, in cast from my ankle to my waist. So they did that immediately. But after that, they started this process with me and it's kind of one of the first time they decided to start this early motion process. And I was one of the first patients to do it, but they wanted to start breaking up scar tissue very early on in this process. And they started it with me. And it was very painful to do that early after surgery. But at the end of the day, I think it was the right thing to do because as my rehab went on, I got my range of motion back a lot quicker. And I was able to get on my feet and start learning to walk again a lot quicker. So that was probably one of the best things to happen during a rehab time. But through the process, I had my family with me because basically my career was probably over at that time. And I was trying to just get through period where I needed to try to walk again. I wasn't really concerned with my career. I said, if I could just start walking, then I'll start thinking about the other stuff and being able to play and resume my career. But fortunate enough for me, I'd had my family with me. My wife stood by my side and they helped me through the process. As I came through the process, I did improve. I would lie to you, say I was at 99% Never could get there, but I got a lot better. I improved enough that I got an opportunity to come back and see if I could play with the Indianapolis Colts. I made the team that year. Uh, Unfortunately, I was not able to play. So after that, I really decided that I lost a step and I couldn't do what I used to do. And I decided to retire. I felt good about the whole process that I went through. It goes back to the question you asked me earlier about what it took for me to to have a career. And I showed up when I needed to show up. I worked hard and I was consistent. And I kept that throughout my whole rehire process. And it got me to the point to be able to come back and attempt to play. And it really gave me an opportunity to get it out of my system, so to speak. So after deciding to retire, I was fine with it. I was fine with it at that point. You know that a lot of people struggle with, not a lot, but there are a number of people that do struggle with that transition because it happens sooner than they want. And I think having that time to just rehab and mentally process through that, hey, this probably isn't going to come back to where I want it to be to perform at a level that I would like you to continue my career. Would you agree that having that year to rehab and then try to make a comeback, it was easier for you versus a player who's gotten cut, for example, and then just doesn't get picked up again? I don't know if it was easier. I just continued to have that hope. I think it was harder for me because if you just get cut, you still think you have an opportunity to play. But I got, I was injured. I need my legs. <laughs> you need your legs to play. Knowing that you don't have what you need to play, that made it hard. One thing I did realize, and I realized this after I retired and after I started pursuing other different avenues, other different careers. That word transition, I realized that I'm transitioning all the time. And that helped me get through a lot because I'm always transitioning. I'm always learning something new. I'm always adjusting to whatever situations that comes my way. You're always transitioning. And that really helped out 
as far as me transitioning to whatever God has in store for me. Now, post your football playing career, you also spent some time coaching in all three levels, high school, college, and pro. First, you were with the 49ers, with Mike Singletary, the wide receivers coach. What was that experience like being a coach in the NFL versus a player? I know it was a number of years post your retirement, but what was it like being a coach for the Niners? It was exciting to get back out there. I really love the, the fact that I could get back out there and be on the field and coach coach players up. The part that's very grueling is the preparation. It was totally different at that level. It's not just the time that coaches have to put in. That's why I'm so glad I couldn't have done that if my kids were young because it just takes too much of your time. I really respect what the coaches do, but it was a lot of time. And I, and I must confess, I I didn't I sometimes I didn't agree with it all the time that they take, but if you want to be a coach, it's a lot of time. Plus, you're not just coaching one person. You know, as a player, you're coaching yourself. You you're doing it for yourself. But as a coach, you got six, seven, eight guys in the room and you have to coach them all. You have to be fair to all of them, but you have to coach them differently because each guy learns differently. And that was a challenge. But at the end of the day, I really like seeing the growth of players as a a receiver, a football player, and and plus off the field too. And I enjoyed seeing that. I liked coaching at the pro level better than I did the the college level. College level is 24-7 because of recruiting. And that's a real challenge. Yes, I have lots of friends that are in the college space, D1, D2. It's 24-7. It's all year round. You're you're just busy all the time. And you talk about the evolution. I mean, I I mentioned earlier on the show that I have these draft class guys come. And I mean, even just seeing that I'm not coaching them on a day-to-day basis, but I'm watching them because I've known them since before they got drafted. And I'm looking at their journey and just seeing how they're not only developing and growing in their position group, but also just how they're maturing as young men. And so it's neat to see that evolution as well. So being a coach who's in it day to day, it's got to be a rewarding feeling just being able to impact these young men and, and seeing their evolution as well. Yeah, it is. It's one of those things where guys come into the league, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of fanfare. You're excited because I've been there before. Sometimes the decisions you make are not the greatest. Sometimes you make bad choices. To me, though, those guys that do make bad choices, I love seeing them. Like if if they were to hang around three, four, five years, I love to see them during that time when you can see there's been growth there and you just watch them. You watch how they act and how professional they have become. And you can tell by the way that they become great team members, the way they address the media and the things that are of interest to them. You know, some of them probably have gotten married and had kids, and you see the maturity there. And that's that's what I love to see. Now, something else that you have done post your football career is you have been the NFLPA chapter president here in Chicago. Tell us about, some people may not be familiar with these chapters and what their focus is on. Share with us a little bit more about the mission of the organization and kind of what you're responsible for. Yeah, so the uh, NFLPA is the the arm of the uh, Players Union, Players Association. But the NFLPA, they have 
chapters around the nation, and it's consists of former players. And I served four years as the chapter president here in Chicago. And one of my main responsibilities was to make sure that all of our resources and all of the benefits are communicated to our former players in the area. And the other focus I had was making sure that we had a sense of community among the players. And we did that through having chapter meetings every quarter. We did that through participating in community events throughout the Chicagoland area. We have a lot of guys here in Chicago that play professional football. We have over 300 people listed in Chicago, living in the Chicagoland area. And a lot of these guys are involved in charitable organizations. So we come together and we, we join together and, and help volunteer at some of the organizations. The other main thing is to make sure that we have camaraderie with each other. We get together, have the brotherhood, and it's kind of like a locker room feel. We'll go to different restaurants around the Chicagoland area, and uh, we just uh, fellowship and have a good time. I know you guys do a lot of events, and it's great to just bring people together. I mean, relationships last beyond football, and so it's great to stay connected with folks you may have known in the league that are in the city, but also just to connect with other players who are now in this geography too and continue to build those bonds and those relationships. So Wendell, what I want to do now is we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I got some fun questions for you as part of my two-minute drill. We'll be right back. Hey, have you moved the ball in your own life today? If you're working toward your dream job, a new personal record, or a bigger salary, you need a plan to consistently make progress. That's why I wrote Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. These books are packed with strategy and easy-to-implement tips on gaining clarity of your goals, developing your own personalized playbook for success, pushing your boundaries of comfortability, and really elevating and dominating. Go to www.dominateandmove.com and enter code DOMINATE2023 for a 20% discount on the bundle. And all books are signed copies as well. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, Wendell, we are back and we're going to have some fun. We're going to do some lightning round, two-minute drill questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. First question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself? Consistent, honest, and encourager. Three great words. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? I'm a handyman. Okay. Would you rather be the world champion of your sport or a CEO of a billion-dollar company, and why? World champion of my sport because this is what I grew up and what I love to do, and I think if that happened, I would be rich beyond belief. All right. Next question is, what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I'm listening to the Jennifer's podcast, Move the Ball. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for that. If you could have any one song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be? That's a tough one because I'm a big music lover. Outcast, song called Spodiote. Next question is, what would your next career move be if you were guaranteed to succeed? I would probably go into real estate. Okay. Commercial or residential? Residential. Okay, just curious, since I'm a realtor, as well as my listeners know. So I always like to know what people think. And the next question is, you have 24 hours and a private plane that will take you anywhere. Where are you going? I am taking my wife back to Bora Bora. 
nice choice. I've not been. I want to see lots of pictures. So one day I'm going to go there, hopefully on a private plane. We'll see. Yeah. And the bonus question is M&M's, plain or peanut? Peanut. That's right. That's the right choice. So as we look to close the show, well, first, I'm going to give just a quick shout out because I know somebody else who played in the league, who went to LSU and is from Shreveport, who you know, well, Mr. Lifford Hobley, who is a dear friend. So I just want to give a shout out to Lifford. Any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? Well, I just want to thank you for having me on your podcast. I think you're doing an awesome job. The questions that you ask are very good questions that gives people an opportunity to really know the person that you're interviewing (laughs) and not just sports related questions. So I I really do like what you're doing. And I just want to congratulate you on your on your podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And let people know are you're a social media guy. I know you're on LinkedIn. Where are you at on social media? Don't ask me that. (laughs) I could never tell them. Well, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. All right. Well, I'll go and I'll get your social links and my team will put it in the show notes so people can follow you on your journey and see all the great stuff that you're up to and what you're posting online. Wendell, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you very much. And I'm a shout out too to my my big brother, Lifford Hobley. I was texting with Lifford earlier today to let him know that we were going to record. He's a great guy. Yes. Yeah. He He's awesome. He and I have known each other for a long time. I've actually known you longer than Lifford. But yeah, Lifford's great. He and I both were on the board for the Women's National Football Conference a few years back. And that's how we got to know each other. And he's just a fantastic human being. So I love him to death. And I saw him in Arizona for Super Bowl weekend, too. So okay, yeah, it was good to, to see him recently. So hopefully I'll see you again sometime soon. It's been a while since I've seen you as well. Thanks again for being on the show, Wendell. And thanks again to everyone for listening. If you liked today's episode, please share it with someone else who you think would find the show to be of value. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. And also, if you haven't already done so, make sure that you follow the podcast. There's such great guests coming up for the rest of the season. Thanks again for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thanks for listening to Move the Ball, everybody. If you were inspired by this episode, can you do me a favor and let me know? Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And also, share the show with a few friends, too. Next, I want you to go to GetInsideTheHuddle.com and join our email list. This will give you priority access to tips and strategies that will help you get more done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You got that? Okay, until next time.